0: Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports. This one you'll find very interesting. You know how I'm on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast? Well, the namesake is here with me. Turning the tables. I come on Ross Tucker Football Podcast every week with Ross on Wednesdays. And here's Ross joining us. So, Ross Tucker, welcome to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt podcast.
1: Thanks, Andrew. I'm, I'm <laughs> honored. My first time on the Business of Sports. You've had so many great guests. Wasn't it just Dimitrov last
0: week? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dimitrov going into the Super Bowl, the GM of the Falcons, who was, I thought, really insightful and thoughtful. And now uh, now Ross Tucker. I'm really moving up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Next week, you'll have the president. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're booking good guests after good guests. No, in all sincerity, Andrew, thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be aboard.
0: And you know what? In the spirit of this uh, table's turned, excuse me, I'm going to do what you do to me uh, in a good way, just sort of let you have the floor. Here's my question. I'm just going to leave it to you, your reaction to the Super Bowl in terms of what you saw in terms of how much the Patriots and the ever-loved Tom Brady, quote-unquote, won the game versus how much the Falcons lost the game. I'm going to give you a blank canvas, just as you do with me, so go ahead.
1: Well, it's obviously a combination of both. I think we all know that. You know, there's never a big comeback without there being some mistakes made by the team that's has the big lead and gives it up. So then it's just a matter of, you know, are we putting percentages on it? Are we are we splitting up the the blame, if you will? Clearly what the Patriots did was unprecedented, extremely impressive. I mean, they were down they were still down twenty five points with three misses up in the third quarter. Come all the way back to tie it and then win it in overtime is just remarkable and it doesn't happen without a unbelievable performance really by a lot of Patriots, but especially Tom Brady, who, you know, former teammate of mine, and I, I clearly think that he's the best quarterback there's ever been. I, I don't really think it's all that close at this point. And I don't think there's a very compelling argument against him. Now, as far as this game is concerned, I think if you're trying to decide whether or not it's more of a comeback or more of a collapse, I think it's more of a comeback. Um, clearly there were some major miscues by the Falcons. To me the, it started with you know, third and one at their own 36-yard line. They're up by 16 points. There's eight minutes left. and I can live with the fact that they threw the ball, but why you're in shotgun in that situation. You don't even have the threat of the run. I really don't understand. And so that, to me, is a failure. in the offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, who's now the Niners head coach, as well as Devontae Freeman, who missed the block, and then Matt Ryan. I mean, that's pretty much the only thing you can't do in that situation is turn the football over in your own territory yet it's exactly what the Falcons did, which is why it's so maddening for Falcons fans and players, I'm sure. So I put part of the blame there on Freeman, certainly part of the blame on Matt Ryan, but it's a situation that I really don't like the formation for the play call by Kyle Shannon. And then clearly, Andrew, after you know, they got the ball down the 22-yard line with the remarkable catch by Julio Jones. They ran it on first down. I think people forget that. Right. Lost the yard, which, by the way, that was a decently blocked play. Devin McCourty just flew up from his safety position, you know, ran the alley, as they call it, and made the play. But other than that, it was pretty decently blocked. The decision to throw it, you know, the next couple downs um, is the one that will will haunt them. And and I put uh, some of that on Kyle Shanahan, uh, some of that certainly on Matt Ryan for taking the sack. Uh, But a lot of it's on Dan Quinn, the head coach, because he knows Kyle Shanahan's aggressive nature. And it's your job then as the head coach to say, hey, understand the situation here. Let's at least run it again on second down see what happens, force the Patriots to use a timeout. Then third down, you can figure it out. Obviously, Matt Ryan can't take the sack, and Jake Matthews can't get the hole in the next play. But again, I don't feel like those players should have been put in that situation to make those mistakes. And pretty clearly, I don't think the Patriots come back to win the game if the Falcons don't make those miscues. But like I said, during a 25-point comeback, that doesn't happen without some miscues by the opposition. It's not like they totally imploded the point where they had three turnovers or two interceptions returned for touchdowns. It wasn't that blatant.
0: Yeah, and I guess I focus like you just did, and i probably less focused, as I maybe shouldn't have, on the, uh, the fumble earlier. But the series after Julio Jones makes that miraculous catch, like you said, first and 10 at the 22, I think four minutes and change left. So, again, three runs with or without timeouts. With timeouts, I guess you have about three minutes left. Without timeouts, you're probably at two minutes left. And an 11-point lead, assuming Matt Bryant makes a field goal, which he should. Uh, I guess as a player, as someone who knows coaches better than I do, what's going on? I mean, this happens a lot. We can go back to the, the call not to run Marshawn Lynch two years ago. Is this hubris? Is this ego? If you and I know you run the ball three times, you kick a field goal, you effectively won the game. How does that not happen?
1: Well, I, I guess the first thing I would
0: say is
1: I think Kyle Shanahan, one of the reasons why he has the success that he has is because he often tries to to do what the opponent is not expecting. So pretty clearly on second down, the Patriots are thinking, here comes a run again. And so I think he thought he could throw the ball and get a pretty easy first down and maybe even score and totally end the game. So I think that's one part of it. If you remember how that drive started, Andrew, before the Julio Jones catch, they had the Falcons had first out their own 10-yard line. Right. And I think I, like a lot of people, thought on first down that they would run it. You know, they got an eight-point lead. They're to protect it, run the ball. Instead, they went with a play-action pass. Devontae Freeman was wide open because the Patriots clearly weren't expecting it. Nobody covered him. It was a dropped coverage. And they got 40 yards on the play, which is how they even got the midfield in the first place. So, in fairness to Shanahan, a lot of his success is as a result of you know, going against what the opposition is thinking. And a lot of times the Patriots do that as well with their game plans from week to week. I just think at some point you have to do an internal cost-benefit analysis. All right, what are the potential rewards? What are the potential risks? Is it worth it? And decide what you want to do. Is a lot that they would have won the game? You know, who knows? Maybe Shane McClellan blocks the field goal or maybe Brian misses it, or maybe maybe even they're up by 11, and the Patriots go down, score a touchdown, onside kick, get get the ball, field goal. But certainly at that point, Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan did not do a very good job of understanding the risks and rewards of throwing the ball on second down, And and maybe, Andrew, you could make the case that they put too much faith in their MVP quarterback because I'm guessing the last thing they are thinking is going to happen on second down when they're throwing it, much to the Patriots' surprise, the last thing that they're expecting will happen is a sack. And they're expecting if something like that's going to happen, that Matt Ryan will get rid of the ball, that he won't take a sack in that situation, but their faith was not rewarded. That's obviously exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, it's a really insightful look at the Super Bowl, one of the greatest games ever played. And we'll be back to Ross in a second. First, Ross, a word from Blue Apron. You know, they're the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. As Ross knows so well, I'm this health fitness nerd. I think it's great. They are very healthy. Not all ingredients are equal, and there's high-quality ingredients That make a real difference here. It's easy to prepare. It's affordable. Less than $10 per person per meal. These are sourced from local farms. Check it out. This week's menu, you get your first three meals free. Free with free shipping. Go to blueapron.com slash My name, all caps. B-R-A-N-D-T. You will love as I do how good it tastes, how good it feels, you your healthy, fresh food at Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Brant, all caps brand. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Back to my guest and friend Ross Tucker about the Super Bowl. We talked about how hard it was for the Patriots to come back, even with what we just talked about, the blunders in play calling from the Falcons. They had to make two two-pointers, Again, in me bringing up that I'm leaving with more Falcons lost than Patriots won, I don't discount what they did. I just – what the sequence we talked about last time and the other thing that was maddening to me, Ross, was they were snapping the ball on those last drive with 16, 15 seconds left. Do you think that they really weren't trying to sort of milk the game? They were really trying to score more, even if it meant – Mistakes would be a possibility, or and and disaster could happen as it did.
1: Well, it's good that you got me on for this, Andrew, because I actually did some 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 research on why they were snapping it when they were. Yeah, and talked to some folks, and evidently, you know, they were in silent count because they operate. They feel like very effectively from silent count. Not we can dispute whether or not they really needed to be in silent count. You know, in the Super Bowl, neutral side game, but they yeah. were they were in silent count, which means you get up on the ball, and you know you have to be ready when the quarterback and center want you to snap it. And so, what a lot of people don't understand is when you're an offensive lineman and you're in your stance, that's that's been big So I've been told that the Falcons were snapping it when they were because they do not want to sit in their stance for another 10 seconds and then have no juice or no power. It's almost like, Andrew, you're a fitness guy. The lactic acid, especially late in the game, has already built up in your legs. And if you're just in a squat position right. for 15, 20 seconds, then something like that can happen. What I would say is that you only need to be in silent, number one, number two. Even if that's the case, then you break the huddle later. I mean, it's still poor. Any way you slice it, it's poor. I'm just telling you why. I'm just telling you why what happened happened. They were in silent count, and the offensive linemen felt like it was more important to be able to get out of their stance and and block effectively than it was to try to milk another five to seven to ten seconds off the clock. And really, uh, Andrew, it's counterintuitive for you and I. Certainly, I, I didn't. I I, I didn't like it. You want to shorten the game when you have the lead. But I would also say this. If you look at when the Patriots scored to tie it, you know, the clock didn't really end up being that much of a factor, actually.
0: Yeah, and, and that brings up sort of this other narrative that's out there, and I want to get your thoughts on this because I hear how the Patriots were on the field the whole game and the defense of the Falcons was gassed because of that. And again that sounds nice it's it's radio talk it, it makes sense but my my question maybe i overthink this but i want your perspective is well isn't the offense tired too i mean aren't you talked about lactic acid with these linemen aren't they tired too i just don't get that when a, when a, one side of the ball's on the field for so long it naturally only affects the other side of the ball
1: well because defense especially defensive line is more tiring than offense. You know, when you are on defense, here's the best way I can describe it. Let's say that you are a guy in the secondary, okay? So you're chasing Amendola or Edelman or Hogan all over the field, right? Right. But then and so you're running about the same amount that they're running, but you're chasing them. So it's a little bit more tiring not knowing where you're running, you know, when you're running. But but then somebody catches the ball or someone is running with the ball. So you have to stop and then go chase whoever has the ball. So that's part of it, whereas the offensive player doesn't. But defensive line, Andrew, is by far the most tiring position in the sport. It's why they rotate guys in as much as they can to try to keep them fresh. When you are in the run game as a defensive lineman, usually at least two, sometimes three of the defensive linemen, have an initial double team. So you are trying to resist 625, 650 pounds of force and hold your ground. That takes a lot out of you. And then rushing the passer is by far the most tiring thing you can do as an NFL player, other than maybe being the gunner on the punt team. Rushing the passer just takes so much out of you because of the force that you have to exert and the nonstop motor. an offensive lineman, you're kind of shuffling back and forth. You know, you're holding your ground. The defensive linemen have to exert so much energy. I mean, it is hard to rush the passer, even on back-to-back plays, because you are going full throttle for those five to six seconds. So uh, that is the logic. That's the reasoning.
0: Interesting. And before I let you go, you mentioned your former teammate, who's obviously the most adored player right now, Tom Brady. I guess my question is sort of legacy. Uh, First of all, I I think it's poppycock to talk about him retiring or even thinking about it. Of course, he's playing at the top of his game. But how much do we overemphasize singular players like him? I guess my question is, you know, I even brought up on Twitter and got shot, shot down by Patriots fans How much his legacy would change if Kyle Shanahan ran the ball, if Daryl Bevel ran the ball? Uh, And then people say, well, what about Manningham and what about Tyree? And it all evens out. I I guess my only thought is that this is not tennis. This is not golf. And everything relies on everything else. So are we overstating the importance of Brady when we talk about his greatness in these conversations?
1: I don't think so, because even if, even if you point to specific Super Bowls, you can look at the fact that in 15 years as a quarterback, they've been to 11 conference championship games right. and seven Super Bowls. So even if we're looking at a play here or there in a specific Super Bowl, the sustained excellence over time, is what really stands out about him. And then, obviously, the clutch performance is late. And you're right. I mean, if Asante Samuel catches that interception that Eli Manning threw right to him back in 2007, then then Brady and the Patriots have a 19-0 and season on their sure. resume, which, which probably does even more for his legacy, if you think about it. So, on some level, a play here or there does even out. But I, I thought one of the big takeaways, Andrew, from the game was that Atlanta was more talented, faster, younger, better, but that New England was better at by far the two most important spots, hmm. quarterback and head coach. It just, I mean, you look almost position by position, the Falcons are the better team, the Falcons are the more talented team, but I also feel like with each passing year, the importance of the head coach and the quarterback increases. doesn't decrease, it increases, and the Patriots have arguably the best ever in both spots, which is why they're able to overcome that deficit and why they're able to have the success they have, despite the fact that their roster was inferior to the Falcons.
0: Yeah, and that segues to the last question, Ross. What about the Falcons? As a former player, as someone who knows this far better than I, how much of a hangover effect? I mean, I know from a fan point of view, we're shaking our head. We're not going to take them seriously if they jump out to 7-2 and two next year or even 13-3. and three. So how much of a hangover is this? Does it carry over year to year? Is it going to be in Matt Ryan's head? All these negativity about the Falcons right now. Do you think it matters?
1: I don't know. I have not experienced that. But I will say this. This is a tough one to get over. Yeah. This is going to be a tough one to bounce back from mentally because they had it. You know, typically in the regular season, you lose, even if it's an important regular season game or close game, you know this, Andrew. By the time you get to the plane, you're kind of over it. you yeah. Kind of to move on, you know? It's different, I think, when it's the last game, and it's especially different when it's the Super Bowl and people are going to be bringing it up to you and talking to you about it. Uh, really, for months and months, if not years.
0: You know, it's interesting. You just you said that it's like my sons are huge Packer fans from our time there, and they got over this Atlanta loss, the blowout two weeks ago, a lot easier than the Seattle loss four years two two years ago, and the Arizona loss last year because they were nail biters. And Atlanta lost to New England is obviously right way up there with, with those. I can imagine. I feel for Falcons fans. I really do.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think it's easier when you get blown out. Yeah. Much easier. And obviously, it's easier, I think, as you get older. Your boys were younger. And it was a situation where, you know, it was just the way they lost was just uh, inexplicable.
0: Do you think the? now that you bring it up, which was a worse loss, Packers-Seahawks championship game two years ago or Falcons the other day?
1: Hmm. That's a good question,
0: really yeah. good question.
1: Um, I, you know, I, I have to go back and remember everything from that Packers game. Uh, it felt to me like the Packers made more critical errors in that game yeah. than the Falcons did. I don't know if that makes it worse or better, to be honest with you. <laughs>
0: Well, Ross, has been great. It's great to turn the tables, have you on my podcast, all found on the Ross Tucker Football Network podcast. Thanks so much, Ross, and we'll talk again soon. And you'll be back soon on The Business of Sports.
1: Yeah, sounds good to me, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday's Ross Tucker Football Podcast.
0: Great stuff from Ross Tucker on the Super Bowl 51. What a matchup it was. What an incredible game. The greatness of Brady and the Patriots, and, of course, questionable calling, of plays late in the game by the Falcons. It's a game to remember, and we will have to remember it because there's no more football. A meaningful snap not ahead for seven months in late mid-September. So here we are. Now I take over the business of Sports Dominates, the game behind the game. We'll get to some rants in a second. First, a word from Harry's. You know, for decades, one big razor company has been increasing prices. They reap their benefits at the expense of customers. But one company, now Harry's, takes less profit. They offer their blades at half the price. I use it every day. Never a cut, close, comfortable shave. The aftershave smells great. So right now, Harry's is so confident. They want you to try their shave set for free. You heard it right. Just cover shipping when you sign up. Plus, a special offer for fans of the show. Go to harrys.com right now. Enter code SPORTS, all caps, S-P-O-R-T-S, at checkout. You get a post-shave bomb for free, the one I talked about. That's harrys.com, code SPORTS. Nata Branch rants. One thing I noted at Super Bowl week every year, there's this Super Bowl press conference held by the commissioner. In fact, it was moved up from Friday to Wednesday this week. Maybe take the spotlight off the commissioner as we move towards the Patriots being in the Super Bowl. But... As usual, Roger Goodell guarded, corporate, unrevealing. He's got this rigid stance. We knew the questions going in, and frankly, the way he answers questions, we knew the answers. Stuff about San Diego, he said relocation is painful. Doesn't tell as much, certainly painful for fans. I'm not sure from the corporate world. He talked about the deflate gate questions, of course, where. He said, it's integrity of the game. They had disagreements. We knew all that was coming. A little bit disingenuous about (laughs) if he was invited, he'd go to New England. Of course, he could go anytime he wants. And knowing the relationship that he still has with the Crafts, I found it odd that he wasn't invited this year, certainly during the playoffs. He has this face where he does not show much humanity, a softer side. And I've seen it. When I was in Green Bay, I saw him take an interest. Show a compassionate side. Some of our troubled players got in trouble, got suspended. He would take an interest. He would ask for their number. He'd go visit them away from cameras. So it's there. That more vulnerable human side is there for Goodell. The question is, why doesn't he show it more? And I think the answer is this. I think His constituency doesn't want that. They want him to be this iron-jawed, stoic, solid commissioner that doesn't weaken. The knees don't weaken when it comes to tough topics. He doesn't show that side. So I think it's his constituency. I think it's owners who, of course, he takes the bullets so they don't have to. I think it's sponsors. their premium product buyers that want him standing in the face of any issues that come his way. And, of course... Network partners as well. They want this iron jaw, tough commissioner that doesn't bow down, that doesn't even show a more emotional side. I just think that's it because I do see a softer side to him. I've seen it in the past. It's in him, but he doesn't show it. He's the corporate commissioner. That certainly came through last week in the Super Bowl press conference. Another issue big last week, the Las Vegas Raiders, mm, maybe suffering a bit of a hiccup in getting to that point. Here's what's happening. The financing for the Raiders comes from four sources, or has come from four sources so far. One is the NFL, two is the Raiders, three is the $750 million in public funding from the state of Nevada, a huge amount. But the fourth source of funding was $650 million from casino mogul, casino magnate Sheldon Adelson. Well, the news is Adelson's out. He's dropping out, not sure what his beef was, either with the Raiders or the NFL or whatever it is. And that seems like a problem, maybe even a death blow for the Raiders moving to Vegas at least anytime soon. But here's a thought. That may just be a silver lining or actually silver and black lining. For the Raiders. Here's why. As much as the NFL says it's evolved with gambling, as much as it says, well, gambling, we're getting used to it. We're even considering a team in Vegas. Daily fantasy they've embraced. They all sponsor it. Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones are investors in DraftKings. Again, more adaptive attitudes towards gambling. But the one thing that owners are against, at least the majority of owners seem to be against, is casinos having an interest in the financing of stadia or certainly in an equity interest in teams. That's where Adelson comes in. It's not clear what he wanted for that $650 million, but you would think that would be part of the stadium or that would be part of the team. So that out. That's off the table. So what happens now? There was rumors about Goldman Sachs coming in. Then it was reported Goldman was only involved with Adelson. I don't put it past Goldman coming back in. Again, the NFL point man on relocation is Eric Rubman. Where was he before the NFL? Well, he was a partner at Goldman Sachs. So I don't doubt there's a possibility they come back in. Maybe other funding sources are found to replace the funding gap lost when Edelson moved out of the deal. We'll have to see what happens. I do think it's a problem for the short term. The NFL was poised or is poised to vote on the Raiders' move to Vegas in the March meeting. Without that funding source that Edelman leaves behind, I think that's a problem for the short term, meaning that the Raiders are stuck, at least from their point of view, in Oakland at least another year and not able to get this passed by March. But that doesn't mean the funding will come at some point. What about Oakland? Well, I'm sure they see this as an opportunity. Mayor Libby Schaaf, the funding group, the Fortress Group, led by Ronnie Lott, but I've been told, and still am being told, their funding presentations to the NFL owners have been underwhelming. Uh, They've not convinced NFL ownership that there is a good deal to be made in Oakland, and certainly Mark Davis has felt that way. So, where are we with the Vegas or Oakland Raiders? I guess best guess, they're the Oakland Raiders considering what's happening in Vegas for now, but I'm not convinced we don't find another funding source to make that deal happen. The NFL owners are staring $750 million of public funding in their face. They're going to want that to remain. They're going to want to do a deal in Vegas and find that other funding source to replace Adelson, who, as I said, maybe a silver lining that he's out of the deal so they don't have to wrestle with the idea of a casino magnate, being part of either the stadium or even an equity in the team. Another note I wanted to mention is while the Falcons are preparing for this game, their signature player for so long, Michael Vick. He retired, and I know it didn't get a lot of press. He hasn't played for a year. Of course, it seems like a natural that he's retired. But what a presence he was for that team. He was adored around Atlanta. He was someone whose exhilarating play was just... Uh, so electric, so dynamic, and I saw it firsthand, especially in a playoff game in Green Bay, where he ran around our team at Lambeau Field, where we never lost playoff games. That stadium was as quiet as I've ever heard. As snow fell that night in January, we lost that playoff game, and it was all Vic. Vic was a sensation. The jaws of Lambeau Field collectively were on the floor when he did that. The other way I saw Michael Vic When I left the Packers, I did some consulting work for the Philadelphia Eagles, and during that time, in 2009, we signed Michael Vick, someone Andy Reid really wanted to sign, coming off an 18-month jail term at Leavenworth Prison, and we did sign him, and it was just the the, the memory I have, not so much the contract, the actual signing, but when he walked in that locker room. Now, keep in mind, he's a third-string quarterback. Behind, at that time, Donovan McNabb and Kevin Cobb didn't expect much, if anything, from him coming in. But there was a buzz around the Eagles locker room, around that facility, a palpable buzz. It was almost genuflecting. When he walked in the locker room, people were like, wow, we got Vic. He just had a presence. He had such cred around the building. And a couple reasons. One, everyone knew his electric and dynamic, exhilarating play from Atlanta but two, there was a feeling, especially among African-American players, that he was railroaded, that he got uh, treated unfairly by the criminal justice system in getting such a penalty for the dogfighting. And even comments I heard, hey, if that was Brett Favre or Jake Cutler, all these Southern guys, and, and the implication was Southern white guys, people would laugh it off. Oh, that's just what they do in the South. And that was something I heard. So I just, you know, as I see Vic retire, I think about that moment back in 2009 when he signed, and those comments that I heard from there. Finally, looking forward into the off season, you know, one team that is as set up as anyone again sustained success: New England Patriots. Their cash commitment's 67 million right now. Now I know they have Hightower and others as free agents, but wow. $67 million in cash commitments for 2017, the lowest of the 32 teams in the NFL. Number 32, Tom Brady's scheduled to make one. That's right, $1 million next year. Only four players over $5 million, including Gronk, including Amendola. We'll see what happens with that. Solder and McCourty. It really is something, I've noted this before, the Patriots don't pay anyone top of market. Maybe Gronk but certainly not Brady. We've talked many times about Brady taking undervalued deals and they just continue to make it happen. Belichick operating as GM and coach is able to make that happen. It's just an incredible sustained success without financial commitments that other teams have with players. So kudos to the Patriots for their success, for winning another Super Bowl, for Tom Brady. It was all good for the Patriots, even with the inadequacies of the of the Falcons. Speaking of which, finally, Cal Shannon is introduced as 49ers coach. You just wonder how many of those questions in his press conference are going to be about the Falcons and the play calling in the end of the game versus the 49ers. But we're on to the next. You've been listening to the business of sports. You had Ross Tucker and I talk in Super Bowl, and then some Brant's rants. As we look ahead, it's going to be a busy off season. I'll have it stay with me all here on the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. You can listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Ross wherever you get your podcasts, follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. we'll be back next week with another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.